And welcome to Right Spokane Perspective. On this Thursday episode, we're going to be talking about some criminal justice issues, crime in the city of Spokane. We have Chief Craig Meidel in the studio with us today, and we'll jump into that conversation after inspiration. Our inspiration today is going to be the rest of our story. For more than six decades, news journalist Paul Harvey was a familiar voice on American radio. He would say with a colorful flair, you know what the news is. In a minute, you're going to hear the rest of the story. After a brief advertisement, he would tell a little-known story of a well-known person, but by withholding until the end either the person's name or some other key element, he delighted listeners with his dramatic pause and tagline, and now you know the rest of the story. The Apostle John's vision of things past and future unfolds with a similar promise. However, his story begins on a sad note. He couldn't stop crying when he saw that no created being in heaven or on earth could explain where his History is going. Then he heard a voice offering hope in the lion of the tribe of Judah. But when John looked, instead of seeing the conquering lion, he saw a lamb looking like it had been slaughtered. The unlikely sight erupted in waves of celebration around the throne of God. In three expanding choruses, 24 elders were joined by countless angels and then by all of heaven and earth. Who could have imagined that a crucified Savior would be the hope of all creation, the glory of our God, and the rest? of our story. Heavenly Father, you deserve all the power, the praise, and the love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we had a a show this, I don't know, a week or so ago with our our sheriff, John Knowles, and we want to talk about a few of those issues today and how they, you know, affect the city of Spokane Police Department and the residents in the city. And we kind of get get the rest of the story in criminal justice, because that was our topic with Sheriff John Knowles. Anyway, so we're going to jump into this conversation. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Spokane Police Chief, you took on that job. I've seen you uh, take on a lot of arrows taking on that job. You got to love Spokane and the community to be in that position, I think. Yeah, you know you do. And it's funny, I heard something years ago before I was even in this position. I talked about, you know, anyone in leadership position long enough is going to have, you know, scars and wounds and injuries and all everything that goes with it. And and it's it's true. I, I will acknowledge, though, it, it feels like things have escalated the last handful of years as well. You're always going to have disagreement, but what that disagreement looks like and how it manifests now is it, it feels a lot different than it did five years ago. Yeah, the personal attacks on things that are tied to state policy, criminal activity, the personal attacks that our public servants take uh, oftentimes is is pretty amazing. And and I think obviously politically driven. And that's one of the problems I think in criminal justice these days is too many people are politicizing it. So we're not being able to effectively administer justice for victims and to rehabilitate criminals, drug addicts, that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, let me, and I'll add to that a little bit. One of the things I really noticed and, and people probably noticed this a lot sooner than I did, but over the last, especially three years when people state their their position when they state their experience or their view and others don't like it what i've really seen is instead of going after their position instead of going after you know their belief and in, in bringing logic into it or wisdom into it you're seeing them really go after the person so if i can cancel you i don't have to worry about what you say i can fill in the blank label you as a b and c now anything and everything you say because i've just labeled you as a b and c i've canceled you are you kidding a b and c you just discriminated against the 
rest of the alphabet. That's true. A, B, and C is the only, you know, and, and so that's what happens, right? And, and a lot of these attacks are that ridiculous, yeah. really. And it's amazing to me that so many people have fallen for it, but I kind of have a little bit of hope, not just for you and the Spokane Police Department, but overall, I think the public has really gotten their eyes open to this, that it's really not as divisive as we think it is. It's that people that take a radical view, radical position, when the rest of the community that's, say, funding government just wants something that works. And if government is being you know, thwarted by activists, well, we, we've got to find a way to deal with that so that the rest of the taxpayers, uh, the victims, and the criminals get what our constitution, our charters lay out. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think that, you know, the overwhelming majority of the community wants to live in a safe, healthy, peaceful community. I think we can all agree on that. I think where we start to, to diverge and separate is what does that look like and, and how do we go about making that safe, healthy community for everybody? So I think what we all want is very similar. I think our approaches of what, what should happen to get us to that safe community, I think that's where we just have, we have different views. And, and again, I, we are in a, when when I say we, I mean law enforcement, and not just in Spokane, but across the nation. We're in a unique position because we get to see an immediate, almost immediate impact on changes in state legislation, city ordinances, things of that nature. So we typically are not because we're smarter or better than anyone, but because we're seeing the the ripple effect of those decisions before everyone else does. And sometimes it can take six months, sometimes it can take a year, sometimes it can take three or four years until the majority of the community sees what we start seeing almost right away. Well, obviously in criminal justice, you're on the front lines of that. So you're going to see the effects before anyone else. Just like if you're a, a civil engineer, if there's changes in how things are constructed, roads and bridges, you're going to see it before the people that use that infrastructure see it, right? And so that's kind of where we're at, I think, with criminal justice reform. I know that that could be a naughty word in front of some officers. There's pieces of smart justice that work, but the political narrative of smart justice is what doesn't work. And so we saw state policy. I want to use an example that you just uh, brought up with this, you know, issue of police seeing the, the front lines, you know, whether it's people in the jail or on the streets, you saw almost an immediate change in the environment for the community and police when we basically decriminalized drugs. So that took a couple of years. Now the legislature said, oh, oh, we got to do a little bit of something because that was obviously a bad decision. And so we're starting to see even uh, Washington legislature, surprisingly, take small pieces of action on that front. But we have a Washington legislature that they forget things like Sheriff Knowles brought up, that it was the state budget that funded the Spokane County Jail back in like 1986. Now we're looking that we have to pay locally for those resources. And on that show, and again, folks, we are a, a listener-funded show. So all the information that we provide is because you guys support us. Go to rightspokaneperspective.com or go to Right Spokane Perspective podcast so that you can grab that Sheriff Knowles interview because I don't want to rehash the whole thing, folks. But in that interview, we did talk about the state transitioning their budgetary obligation to, uh, to incarcerate and do corrections onto the local community. So explain that from the perspective of the Spokane Police Chief. Yeah, that, and that's an excellent point. So when you look at your, your felonies, felonies are basically state laws that have been violated. Uh, most cities incorporate ordinances into the city code. So a uh, misdemeanor, gross misdemeanor, those are typically going to be local ordinances. Those are prosecuted and defended via public defenders and any fees associated with that, whether it's jail um, for booking processing, if it's a sentence of a day up to 364 days, that local 
community is paying the fees for the prosecution, the defense, the any sanctions that are given to this individual. Now, when you're talking felonies, so like drug possession used to be a felony. So every time someone was arrested for possession of controlled substance, that was a state charge. The state paid all of those fees associated with prosecution, defending, uh, court fees, judge fees, incarceration, everything was paid at the state level. So reducing the, the criminal penalties on certain types of crime, all the way up to, you know, certain kinds of assaults and things like that, reducing those and putting them back onto the county. It wasn't just a political narrative on being soft on crime. It was allowing politicians to give them room in their budget to go buy votes with other issues. It, it has shifted the the budgetary responsibility for that whole swath of crimes now to the local community. So the local communities now are funding every aspect of prosecution related to, in this case, possession of, of drugs. So before, in the 80s, we had a state political system that said we need counties, especially our most populated counties, to have support from the state to build jails. Now, we don't have that support, but we also have the state shifting their budgetary responsibility for what used to be felonies, like you say, onto the local citizen, which is amazing to me because you, you look back not even very far, just two decades, 2003, state budget of $23 billion. Look at the budget now, it's $70 billion. So why with are the they... surplus. We had a huge with a surplus, surplus as well. Absolutely. So why are they shifting these costs? They take money. Actually, they're not shifting the costs onto the county in, in a way, because really what they're doing is just increasing costs for the citizenry because they're taking tax dollars from us that don't come back from Olympia back to Spokane County. And then they're taxing us. We have to be taxed more to deal with the problems that are state obligations. We saw that in education with the McCleary decision. Yeah, absolutely. That's fair. So we kind of see that in a lot of places, but we also want to save community. So people are frustrated that they'll see offenders back out on the street and uh, you've got officers that probably get challenged by citizens sometimes to say, well, hey, this guy got arrested two weeks ago on the same corner. What are you doing? So tell us kind of how the officer's perspective of that is when they go to take someone to the jail after committing a, a significant crime. Yeah. And so for, for all felonies, they're still going to be booked. That's, that is one thing jail will always take. But one of the things, and this was last year, I talked to the interim director at the uh, Spokane County Detention Services, because we, we were trying to ask them, what can we do to increase capacity so that we can bring people in when they've committed a crime? And, and to give you an example for gross misdemeanors, misdemeanors, unless it's domestic violence or DUI, you're going to basically give them a citation with a promise to appear in two weeks. So uh, the mandatory bookings are going to be domestic violence, DUI. So other than that, felonies will be booked. But what he had said... And it used to be that uh, if they were dealing drugs, if they had a significant amount of drugs on them, that was also one that would definitely get them booked. But now they're just being re-released and they're back on the street selling. Yeah, it is. So what? Because that's a gross misdemeanor now. Well, dealing is actually a felony still. Possession, if it's just possession, it's going to be a gross misdemeanor. But if you have enough drugs in your possession and or the accoutrements that go with it, scales, Ziploc baggies, measuring devices, things like that. If the officers can still formulate probable cause to say, you, you've got a, and I'll just use a generic phrase, you've got a decent amount of drugs, but you also have the accoutrements common to dealers like the scales, the mm -hmm. Ziploc baggies, you can still arrest them for dealing. That's still a felony. Mm -hmm. But if you have just drugs now, then typically um, that's going to be a cite and release. You're going to get a citation appear in court in right. two weeks. Well, and that's why the not all criminals 
are dumb. And so a lot of the dealers, they know that. So they only travel with amounts that are in that gross misdemeanor category. So they're just dealing uh, one customer at a time. You're absolutely correct. And and again, when, when we go out and we're involved in these operations, a lot of times they'll keep, you know, enough for them. Some, some will keep enough for one deal at a time, and then they'll disappear to an area that we can't see, re, resupply, come back out. Some may keep enough for two or three people, but that's what they're doing. They've changed tactics. In and, what a, doing. and a lot of that is in, uh, sometimes it's in a, a tent that's in a location that you can't remove illegal camping. Or maybe an RV. Or an RV. Or an RV. Yeah. We've yeah. seen that a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. But to get to the point, too, about the challenge with the jail, so we, you know, we, most people who live in Spokane, we've struggled in our downtown core area with homeless, with drug abuse, with mental health, people congregating on the streets, congregating in front of businesses, going in to shoplift from a business because they're, they just want something that that business has. Those shopliftings quickly evolve to robberies when the, the owner or the employees try to get those items back. So we've really made a focus on the downtown area because it's so congested with people that live down there, people that come to recreate, play, uh, people that come down there to work as well. You have a very small, densely populated area. So we, we wanted to try to get downtown back under control. So we started doing specials. We don't have the staffing pull people away from their other positions to the extent to have an impact on it. So we had to do it on some overtime. Our well, very- that overtime is a, is a huge cost but i want to talk about some of the staffing the downtown issue and then what the officers experience is with some of these crimes at the jail prior to booking if they get booked and then also after we're going to take a quick break we're going to be right back again with spokane police chief craig meidel folks don't go anywhere if i were the devil if i were the devil if i were the prince of darkness i'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I'd set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions. Just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, 
that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Good day. And we're back with the Right Spokane Perspective. Today, it's going to be Police Chief Craig Meidel telling us a little bit of truth about criminal justice. I was really shocked about the discussions we had a week or so ago with the sheriff and what they're now calling community custody. I don't know if we'll be able to get to that today with uh, Spokane Police Chief, but I'd, I'd like to. But I do want the listeners to hear a little bit. Off air, you told us about situations with law enforcement at the jail facility. So tell us a little bit more about the overtime in downtown. And of course, they're taking those people into the jail when they've been arrested for significant crimes and just kind of, you know, give us the tale of a Spokane police officer's Friday night. Um, so thank you. A red light status basically means jail is not taking anybody. And when you think about that conceptually... You so red light status. So that you, you you arrest someone and you go to... to book them in, process them, them process in. Them. Absolutely. And you're told there's red light status. Red light status. That means okay. they're not accepting any inmates to process to be booked into, into the jail. And that can range anywhere from a half hour to... We've had officers waiting at the jail in line for over four hours of trying to process this person. So, so does that mean the jail's sitting there combing through their roster of who is currently there so that they can decide okay well this person here their crime isn't as significant as people that are being arrested so we got to we got to get that person's cell available that just pulled a knife didn't actually stab anyone you know whatever it is you're trying to figure out how to keep the community safest so they're releasing the least offensive person that, you know, that's a good way to put it. And so, yeah, it, it basically, they're trying, it, it's a number of things. One could be they have too many people in the jail booking area. They don't have necessarily the staffing or the cells to put them in after they process them. But you, what you bring up is a good point is they're also looking at who do we have in our jail right now that we can release and that we don't need to keep. And, and again, they, I think the jail, the folks that work at the jail, the corrections officers do an amazing job. They're put in a tough position. But they have to make these decisions. It's not a judge making the decision. It's not a prosecutor, not a defender, public defender. It is someone at jail that has to make these very challenging decisions almost daily. And they have to decide this person hasn't had first appearance yet. I'm going to have to let them go because we've got people lined up waiting to come in here. And getting back to downtown area as well, the first weekend we did that special downtown, I get a basically called after action reports. And one of the officers sent me the after action report after the fact. He said we contacted about 20 individuals that had warrants and they could only book a handful. So the overwhelming majority of them, they could not book them because of the jail status. So here you have someone who's been charged with a crime waiting for their day in court. They don't show up in court. And now we've contacted them, them again. And again, through no fault of the corrections officers, now jail is saying we can't take them. It's a it's a misdemeanor. It's a gross misdemeanor. So we literally let somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 warrants walk after we contacted them just because we don't have capacity at the jail. So there's been discussion about how judges have to make a decision based upon room in the end. And we, there was a newspaper article about it. I think it was because we talked about it so much on this show that the newspaper had to talk to some judges and the judges, of course, they have to say they don't do that because that's their job is not to do that. Their job is to have blind justice, look at the crimes, look at the victims, look at the criminal history. So when they look at bail or they look at whether they hold someone for them to go through their hearing process to look at all the evidentiary things of their criminal actions, they're looking also at the jail. I mean, they're, they, of course, the judges are saying, oh, we don't really look at that. But 
they're doing the same thing that jailers are doing. They're looking at the listeners. They, we just got a guy in, assaulted 13 times in the last decade, been in jail twice in, this summer. He's more likely to commit a victim than this other person that's already taken up a bed. So they have to make those decisions. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And one of the things they're going to really weigh heavily on is crimes of violence versus property crimes. And I think we would all agree someone who is violent and is going to physically harm someone should be the priority. However, we also have acknowledged at some level when we don't have capacity to hold our property crime offenders accountable, what is a reasonable expectation that's going to happen? They're going to go out and recommit property crimes. Oh, yeah. the, the majority of our property crimes is committed to support a drug habit. Mm-hmm. So if we're trying to help these businesses that are losing, I mean, one business in Spokane, I won't name the business, but they lose a million dollars a year from folks coming in and shoplifting. Um, it, and I know who that business is. That that business symbol doesn't spin, but uh, their product does because people are, are, are definitely stealing it at high volumes at that retailer. And, and that's not even counting vehicle thefts, uh, burglars in the middle of the night. That doesn't account for all of the shoplifting folks. I remember I was talking to someone who worked at one of our our hardware stores and he would say you know the beginning of the month folks would come in and they would walk out with power tools and they would go and trade this power tool for 10 cents on the dollar to get their next fix oh you go to Lozer home depot and the cashiers there if you ask any cashier there that's been there for more than 10 minutes they will tell you how disgusted they are that they can't do anything yep because the person walk the person the could become violent they know that the criminals that are out on the streets in our city and other cities in, in America, they're, they'll get violent if they have to, to get that power tool that's going to fuel their drug habit for the next day and a half. They do. And those shopliftings frequently turn into robberies when they try to detain them, try to stop them or try to get their property back. And now they use force or violence against the, the employee to keep that. Mm-hmm. So that all goes back to the jail where you, you want to keep your violent offenders but meanwhile, you have your property crime offenders out here that are just pillaging the community with mm-hmm. no consequences because right. our jail can hardly keep the violent offenders that they have, let alone all of our property crime offenders. Yeah, these are all symptoms of other problems. And you know, earlier we talked about the jail being built by the state and then the state taking criminal offenses, lowering the, the bar so that the local government, county, city has to bear those burdens. So elections have consequences. That's just all there is to it. And we have people that make political decisions on funding priorities. And, you know, we have different situations come up kind of like the bus tax. Well, actually, we have a tax that's exactly the same coming up to increase jail bed space. It's a 0.02% increase in sales tax. But to me, it seems like government too often builds pretty things, you know, does art on the sidewalks or in the street and funds all those things before we fund another police officer. But if you ask the public and we look at political campaigns, they're doing obviously a lot of research and polling of the citizens. Their number one priority is public safety. So it seems like the elections happen and decisions get made that divert funding from what the citizens really truly care about. And I think it goes beyond just the violent crime and then the theft in retail. I was actually having a conversation with a gal I was getting my hair cut and she talked about a place that she had worked and she had to quit and go into a different industry because she was just disgusted with the amount of theft. And of course, that means the employees get paid less. This isn't a victimless crime. Like the, right. the activists right. say, oh, this is a victim. It's just a corporation. Well, corporations have people that invest. Corporations have employees that now can't get a raise. They also have shoppers, and so they raise the prices, and you and I are paying higher prices because we have to pay for the merchandise that was stolen. That's right. It's inflation times, too. We're paying for the criminal. But we're also subsidizing the criminal behavior with some of our 
welfare programs as well. So I think our state policymakers need to make better decisions that way. I know that you can't take a position on that, but the Spokane Police Department does work with the city and their lobbyists on policies that affect criminal justice. Uh, Tell us a little bit about state policy that you think has hurt us, stuff that's helped us, and kind of where you think our state's moving in the future. Because I I really do have hope in this because enough people have woken up and even some state lawmakers that I didn't think had any sense at all are starting to get a sense of where the public is at on being safe. And and like I said, not just the violent crime and the theft, but we have infrastructure like the North-South Freeway that we've spent billions of dollars on at this point, and it's getting uglied by graffiti on a regular basis. So not just the small crimes, but the big crimes, because of course the kids that are doing graffiti today are the ones selling drugs next year. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple things that immediately stand out. And, um, and I've shared this many times, I'm going to keep sharing it until I, you know, people start to realize that, you know, in addition to shifting, let's just talk about drugs to the local community to now fund that whole spectrum of, of processing and, and, uh, potentially keeping these folks in jail. And so people need to know that that was a shift from being a felony that would put them into state custodial situation with their courts jailing, everything. So going from a felony with the drugs down to gross misdemeanor, which puts it at the local level. So we need to know that when we're talking to lawmakers, that grossness is in the shifting to the local level. The misdemeanor shouldn't even exist. These should be felonies like they were because we're losing the war on drugs. Yeah. And so you're talking about incarceration as well. When you look at the Department of Corrections, back in 2018, they had 18,000 beds in the state of Washington. Fast forward to 2023, they now have 13,000 beds. So so we have a population that's grown significantly that I think we had 7 million. We're get, are we getting close to 8 million close in Washington eight. state? Yeah. And if we go back to when we built the jail, I think the county has almost doubled in size. The city has grown uh, about 40,000 residents. Residents, I believe in the in the decades um, since at the jail least, was built. Yeah, when I started almost thirty years ago, I think we were right around one seventy, and we're we're two twenty five, two about two thirty is the latest numbers I saw. So we've grown at least sixty thousand since uh, nineteen ninety four, and we haven't added jail beds, and we have the state pushing more of the incarcerated individuals onto our county jail. So almost a thirty percent reduction at the state level in prison beds, uh, which means almost a third of of the beds they've completely removed. Um, And then when you also look at this, this was passed, I want to say it was in 2021, where you can spend up to five months of your prison sentence. This is a judge or jury who looked at you and said, yes, you did this. You've committed it. They look at a sentencing range diagram. They can spend up to five months of a violent crime sentence in the community. They can spend up to 21 months of a property crime sentence in the community. So if a judge if a judge convicts somebody, for example, second degree assault, and they're sentenced to a year in jail, which is pretty significant in this state for a second degree assault. Yeah, I don't hear about that very often. Most of the time I read the newspaper, if they do have that year, it, it typically turns into about six months, but they really only serve about three months. Kind of like the the machete man that uh, the sheriff brought up in his interview that basically attacked some individuals with machetes, injured them, spent about five months in the system and was out with, uh, you know, assaulting people with uh, other 
sharp objects like knives. And we dealt with them again for the better part of a day, trying not to, to have to use force to get them into custody. So five months in the community for a violent offense for, for your prison incarceration, 21 months for property crimes. So to your initial question about what are the things I think that are hurting, one is we've, we've reduced our prison population by close to 30%. We're allowing folks to serve a significant chunk of their sentence back in the community instead of serving it in a prison as a judge has basically ordained. Okay, so that, that goes back to some of the smart justice that's not very smart. You know, there is some smart justice that is smart. I know that. But the word community custody that just drives me nuts. I've, I've said it on the show. I've talked about a free range prison. Community custody is not custody because community custody, I, I know that there's the ankle bracelet program that, that can somewhat be effective for someone that looks to be rehabilitated or able to be rehabilitated. I know that we have work release programs that are great so that people can get back in supporting their families and become a productive member of the community. So those are great. But this whole thing about community custody, we've been doing that. It's called catch and release. Community custody is catch and release. And we all need to tell the, the press that every time they print that, they're not changing the narrative they're just looking dumb because we know what catch and release is yeah you know and it's interesting because one of the things that I, I, I hear quite often is prisons don't work you know we're the most uh, heavily incarcerated nation in the world they don't work but I, I think one of the things that's missing is well what do you define by prison I mean if you're saying that you know I can go out and commit second degree assault potentially almost kill someone but do three months in prison for almost killing someone probably ruining their life probably giving them nightmares for life certainly changing how they view other people for the rest of their life and you can get three months for that. And then a portion of that can be spent back in the community. Is it prisons not working or is it that we we aren't being smart about who do who do we need? And, and let me let me say this. There are some people that we are no longer trying to re- rehabilitate. I'm sorry. There's evil people out there. They have no desire to change their behavior. We're not trying to rehabilitate them. We're trying to protect the community from them. And that's yeah. where prisons come in, into play. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time for today's show. I'm glad that you're able to uh, come in with us today. I'm, I'm hoping that you can come back again sometime soon. Your willingness to talk to the public through the microphone here, I think is valuable. And, you know, just to talk about whether jails work or not, and they talk about other countries, our country doesn't do canings either. So there's lots different kinds of deterrence that other countries use, so they don't have to incarcerate. So we have to have a broader discussion and can't just throw the system that we know that works here with our constitution under the bus, as well as the law enforcement that has to go out and face those criminals time and time again, because we are spending good money or throwing good money after bad when we keep arresting the same individuals if they're not rehabilitated. Anyways, we're out of time for today's show. Thanks, Craig, for coming in. I appreciate you. your time, Mr. Meidel. We will be with you folks again tomorrow. Bye-bye.